You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. What's along what you can and cannot say on a billboard? I assume you can't say nothing defamatory and you can't say fuck, piss, or cunt. That right? Or anus? I think I'll be all right then. I guess you're Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. Why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Dixon, I'm in the middle of my goddamn Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. I know, Chief, but I think we got kind of a problem. Sunshine beating on a good time. I'd do anything to catch your daughter's killer. I don't think those billboards is very fair. Time it took you to get out here whining like a bitch, Willoughby. Some other poor girl's probably out there being butchered right now. We've had two official complaints about those billboards. From who? The lady with a funny eye. A lady with a funny fucking eye? And a fat dentist. There's a lot of good friends of Willoughby in this town, Miss Hate. Ow! You didn't happen to drill a little hole in the dentist today, did you? Of course not. Huh? I said, of course not. I'm sorry about Angie, but the town is dead set against these billboards. You know who threw that can? What can? How about you, sweetheart? Uh, no, I, I didn't really... Go, girl. Hey, fuckhead! What? Don't say what, Dixon, when she comes in calling you a fuckhead? Keep a case in the public eye. The better your chances are getting it solved. And when I see the sun. You know, if you hadn't stopped coming to church, you'd have a little bit more understanding of people's feelings. All this anger, man. It just begets greater anger. In three, two, one. And as sad as the spectacle of these billboards might be. This reporter, for one, hopes this finally puts an end to the strange saga of the three billboards outside. This doesn't put an end to shit, you fucking retard. This is just a fucking start. Why don't you put that on your Good Morning Missouri fucking wake up broadcast, bitch? All right, everyone, you are just listening to the trailer for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and the story is as follows. After months have passed without a culprit in her daughter's murder case, Mildred Hayes makes a bold move painting three signs leading into her town with a controversial message directed at William Willoughby, the town's revered chief of police. When his second-in-command, Officer Dixon, an immature mother's boy with a penchant for violence, gets involved, the battle is only exasperated. Exacerbated. This film is starring Francis McDormand, Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, John Hawks, and Peter Dinklage. It is written and directed by Martin McDonough, and you probably just heard him laughing a minute ago. That is the sound of Will Mavity. Hello, everybody. What a cast. Yeah, right? Um, I'm going to come out right now and just say this. Um, SAG Ensemble winner. I'm still waiting to see where the post goes, because obviously if that ends up being a Best Picture frontrunner, it has an even better cast. So you never know. Hey, I'm gonna. My girlfriend was shifting. I'm gonna re say that. Three, two, one. I'm gonna wait and see where the post goes with this because that has an even better cast. And if that turns out to be the best picture frontrunner that many are predicting it to be, then I think I have to go with that. But for the time being, this does feel on paper 
like a hell of a likely SAG Ensemble contender. I would like to mention Lucas Hedges, too, who you didn't mention there at the beginning, because he's a very important part of this film as well. And then a lot of random people who we'll get to in the back of the film, like Samara Weaving, for example, and whoever played Sam Rockwell's mom. It is a massive ensemble, and everybody gets a good moment. Absolutely. Uh, Mark McDonough certainly knows how to write dialogue very well that A, captures the audience's attention, whether it be through colorful language or even through its like lyrical poetry. I mean, the guy is a former, uh, well, actually still, I, I think, a uh, playwright. And what he has an ability for that I mostly appreciate so much in his writing is how the characters can say dialogue that grabs your attention, but also at the same time is very able to perfectly convey the themes of what it is that McDonald wants to say without hitting you over the head with it. And it's, it's all ensconced in this crudeness that at times took me out a little bit of the film, but at the same time, you're right. I've never, and he did this with In Bruges too. I've never seen someone who's more capable of artfully weaving in complexity to uh, in between fucks and dicks, basically. And there's a reason. Mm-hmm. McDonough is regarded as the bad boy of the British playwright scene. You know, he famously, like, headbutts people. Um, so this is what he's known for. But he is an undeniably strong writer. And that's why this film took me on such an emotional roller coaster. Because it is absolutely hilarious. You know, there. Th- oh, yeah. There are some lines. Um, oh God, what was one of my favorites? Oh, my favorites when, uh, John Hawks' 19 year old girlfriend, just her line delivery when she says a bookmark, that (laughs) kills me every single time. Or, um, even the line when, when they're like, anger begets more anger and she knew the word beget. Yeah. Penelope said that. (laughs) And then I I also love, she walks in at a very awkward moment. It's like, is this a bad time? I was going to use the bathroom, but I could, I I can see it's a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) No, but then like also, um, what does Woody Harrelson say? Where he's like, if you got rid of every police officer with slightly racist tendencies, you'd have about three officers left and they'd hate the queers. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's it's rude and crude, but then it also, you know, you have a scene where something awful happens, and then literally the transition is to Sam Rockwell dancing to ABBA. You know, it's interesting that you say that, the, the emotional roller coaster aspect, because one thing that I think that works perfectly well with three billboards, and you can tell when you watch it with an audience, because the audience has a very visceral reaction to what's happening on screen, either through laughter or through gasping. When this film hits hard, it hits really, really hard. And there are some lines of dialogue that when they're said with such seriousness, um, there's one in particular where... Frances McDormand, who we'll talk about in a minute, she has a line of dialogue that she says to her daughter in a flashback. Yes. Man, that just, like, it, it, it guts you. It, like, really, really guts you. And it's part of the reason why these moments, I feel, stand out so much. You can go from a moment like that to a moment where Frances McDormand is uh, talking to a priest and comparing the Catholic Church to LA, Los Angeles uh, gangs, <laughs> you know? And... That gets like a huge applause. It's that kind of reaction that I think is going to get Martin McDonough the uh, screenplay Oscar this year. 
I really, really do because of that balance that he strikes here. Well, and it's not, I mean, obviously the tonal balance is the most incredible part, but also this is a film, as far as actual plot goes, I would say the plot is a little bit meandering, but as far as character work goes, that's where this film shines. I think on a basic plot level, it's a little weaker than in Bruges, uh, but it's characters, this is the epitome of character-driven storytelling, and this is a film where um, the writing on someone like Sam Rockwell's character, I'm still floored that they could make you root for someone who so clearly comes across as a bad person for most of the film. Well, hold on, I want to actually get back to that in Bruges comparison there for a second, though, only because I think in Bruges is very heavy on character and light on plot, and the reason for that is because it's about two hitmen hiding out in Bruges, and that's that's it. This movie has, you know, a, a developing plot where it's like almost like cat and mouse between her and the Ebbing, Missouri Police Department that takes its twists and turns, and. There are some very unexpected moments that happen uh, in regards to Sam Rockwell's character, Woody Harrelson's character, and through it all, you know, like you said, the characters do show growth, but also at the same time, one thing that I feel like this film had that In Bruges didn't have was I thought it had some really brilliant commentary on the state of America itself, which oh, is something yeah. that you could read into through – and listen, if you can't understand it through – the dialogue and, you know, draw those parallels to what's happening in our country today. Just pay attention to the damn American flags that are, like, in so many shots of the film. <laughs> like, that's not an accident. Obviously, at the time, McDonough couldn't have ever known that this film was going to get released right when all these allegations were going to drop. But that, I mean, that in itself makes it so much more timely. There is, you know, a discussion as to what is going to be done in the events following the film that I think is very satisfying um, for a lot of the anger people have towards the situation Hollywood right now. But you're right, on top of that, you know, it tackles racial issues as well, police, police brutality. brutality. Yep. How about just our own anger at our own government in general? Yeah, absolutely. How about our anger at uh, other people and different cultures? How about our anger at the earth? Just the movie is about anger. And it handles it, – it never feels preachy, which is maybe the most impressive part. You know, this and Lady Bird both felt very universal. And I was I was concerned before I saw the film – that it might run into some flack for a white Irish guy tackling sexual assault and racial issues, but it's handled in a way, as best I can tell, that it will avoid those criticisms. It seems to have handled those issues relatively respectfully. I don't even think the film is about racial issues or sexual assault, to tell you the truth. I really don't. I, I certainly would say it's ultimately not about racial issues once I actually saw it, although they do show up. Yeah, no, it, it's touched upon. It, the film is just all about universal hatred is what it really is. And the whole idea of an eye for an eye and getting revenge and this circle of anger that permeates through our own society. You know what I mean? And w one thing that uh, McDonough is getting at here is that 
we need to be able to embrace uh, forgiveness, understanding, and love in order to change the world. But what I think is so brilliant about Three Billboards is that even when this decision is made to embrace uh, those concepts and those ideas and put them into practice, we still don't know what the future will bring as a result of that. And that, to me, is the is where the beauty of this film truly lies, is that there is a right way to do things, there is a wrong way to do things, and just because you choose to go the right way doesn't mean that everything is still going to be okay in the end. And, God, that's just so poignant to me. The ending of this film reminded me a lot of Moonlight in just the, the, the way it just ends but doesn't feel abrupt. You know what I mean? Surely, absolutely. And it also ends, too, uh, you know, slight, slight, slight spoiler alert. I won't say what or I won't say who, but we see a character smile for the first time. Yeah. That, that you know, that that's a cliche thing that we've seen in films before, but it perfectly works here. Um, I really think that what McDonough has brought to this movie is a universal language that appeals to so much as to who we are as human beings that this is both going to appeal to left and right um, politically leaned individuals. You know, it doesn't matter what your politics are. I think this film is getting at something that kind of crosses beyond that and really is tapping into, hey, we're presenting to you a cop here that's beating up innocent people. That's bad. We're presenting to you a person who's talking about sexual assault, whether he did it or not. He's still bragging about it. That's bad. Like, you can't argue with this. You know what I mean? But yet, he's still able to humanize these characters. He's still able to get us to understand them and also at the same time make us see different viewpoints and ideas. I mean, you know, it's like, it's interesting because if you bring up a conversation about like gun control or the environment or anything like that, like those conversations can get really complex sometimes, you know, in trying to understand people's ideologies and their beliefs and really just trying to get a core understanding so that we can find a middle ground. But with his film here, there's black and then there's white and he doesn't tell you what the gray is. You just sort of find it. And that's why I wish we did have more characters like this, like Sam Rockwell's character, for example, because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter getting pissed that there is any effort to sympathize this character, but that's good writing to have some, you know, like, that's what made something District 9 compelling, where Charlotte Copley's character is an asshole, and by the end of the film, you're rooting for him. He doesn't necessarily stop being an asshole, but he can have decent traits. Well, I mean, it also comes down to this. You know, we live in a society right now, it seems to me, where we're not in the mood to be giving people second chances, right? Yes. So Sam Rockwell's character undergoes, you know, a character arc in this film, and he starts off one way, and he hits rock bottom, he becomes humbled, and he decides to make things better, not just for himself, but for the people around him that he knows that he has caused hurt to. I, I don't know. Like, are you going to sit there and say that you're going to judge? I don't know. I, I think people in this day and age are way too harsh, you know? And I'm not saying that a good deed washes out the bad. 
I'm saying that people should have the ability, unless if they do something truly unforgivable, like, you know, mass murder or something, they should have the ability to redeem themselves and do good. I, at least that's my that's how I was brought up and that's how I was raised. I really don't understand that reaction to that character at all. Now, uh, speaking of characters, I do have a couple criticisms. Number one, I don't think Peter Dinklage needed to be there. He had one very specific role to the plot that could have been solved in any other fashions. Uh, and the fact that he was even present to serve this role in the plot felt a little bit contrived. Well, you know, we saw McDonough kind of use a midget before and in Bruges, right? And So he likes the trope, and I think he likes to make dwarf jokes. I also think that he just wanted to work with Peter Dinklage. Yeah, yeah, but my only qualm with the film is it has a lot of balls in the air. And I think some of them, this character being a prime example make it feel a little bit bloated. This is just a subplot that didn't need to be there. Dinklage is good, although his accent didn't necessarily work for me, but he's good when he gets to cry in a scene. You know, but well, I, I we, did We think- know that Peter Dinklage is perfectly capable of conveying lots of emotion. And yes, <laughs> his accents in almost every project I've ever seen him do go all over the place. <laughs> One other qualm I had is... I did feel like some of the moments were a little bit contrived. Such as? Well, a prime example being that although the consequences of this action don't go exactly where you think they will, it still seemed a little bit contrived that a character just happens to be sitting somewhere where someone just happens to say something really incriminating. And this is apparently the only time this person has revealed that information to someone. Yeah, but months. don't you think the ending of the film, the final not I'm not even saying the final scene, I'm talking like the last fifteen minutes when another revelation about that character is revealed, don't you think that kind of exonerates that? Kind of, but it still feels forced. And like th- that's why pre- Aww. Now, if you were to sit there and you were to tell me that a scene where Lucas Hedges, you know, goes home, supposedly, grabs a fire extinguisher and comes back in cinematic time in less than one minute. He's got Game of Thrones speed. I would say that that's very contrived. And that's just and that's a victim of just trying to speed up storytelling. But I don't know. I think you're being a little harsh there, my man. Also, there's a scene with Peter Dinklage where he just happens to be there that found a very easy out for characters for a tough situation but i'll forgive it because i love that scene as a whole so much sure all i can say is there's a couple scenes involving fire um one of the scenes involving fire is probably the best example of the entire film of mcdonough jumping back and forth between emotion and comedy because something very yes. emotional is being said while the visual imagery is just hysterical mm-hmm Agreed. You know, you're like that. That's an incredible scene. I also think you know the music in that scene, and really throughout the film, the music deserves a shout out from Carter Burwell. Yes, yes, I agree. I uh, have thought all season long that he was going to get an Oscar nomination, probably for Wonderstruck, because it's show your work. But if this is a true Best Picture contender and possible winner, I could see this being like um, Moonlight last year, where they nominated in all the categories that it needs to be nominated in. 
in two of those categories that I previously didn't think it had a shot at. But after seeing it a second time, I started to say, you know what? I could see it happening are uh, editing and yes, music. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-edited film, and I think the score will get in. Also, the song choices were great. There's a long take with Sam Rockwell that's incredible, and there's... Uh, Reminded me of uh, In Bruges, the scene with, um, uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh to, you know, the older guy. Uh, oh, Brendan Gleeson? Yeah, Brendan Gleeson. It reminded me of that scene where the Irish song is uh, used when Ray Fiennes is... Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, yeah, in the tower. I mean, mm-hmm. he jumps off, yeah, on Raglan Road. Yeah, that scene yep, gets me yep, every yep. time. It reminded me of that, which was awesome. Um, also, I thought it's well shot. It's not going to be nominated for Best Cinematography, but there's a couple shots, particularly some nighttime shots, Um both shots involving fire and some shots just of characters at the billboards at night that were just beautiful. And then foggy ones in the morning. The opening shots in the beginning. Oh, yeah, with the fog and stuff. Yeah, those are great. Reminded me of the opening to uh, No Country for Old Men in a sort of way. These static shots of just a landscape, you know what I mean? That, uh, I mean, that's not the only reason the film reminded me of No Country uh, or just of Coen Brother films in general, but yes, it. Um, the, I mean, I've seen a lot of people talking about this. This is this is the best Coen Brothers film the Coen Brothers never made. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a very certainly good better than uh, Suburbicon. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, would you agree that this is probably McDonough's uh, most well shot film? Yes, it's his most well shot film. Yeah, I. It, there's some handheld at times that felt unnecessary but generally it's very painterly um missouri to the best of my knowledge does not look that pretty you know they shot this in Asheville, and i associate missouri with corn and horribleness but it worked for the aesthetic and it felt like a real small town um i thought you know i thought even little details like the sound when uh, francis mcdormand is hurling molotov cocktails the explosions of glass were very well done uh, the audio is well mixed as a whole. It's generally probably his most technically accomplished film. Yeah, and it's only his third film too. You know, and it's which is pretty remarkable. And I keep coming back to how much I think that this film is perfectly capturing everything that we're feeling right now as a country, and how it gets all these technical elements right. Like you're saying, there will the only drawback. And I think you and I are both in agreement of this. The only drawback I see is that, you know, sometimes the crude nature of the language um, and the unnecessary, you know, dwarf jokes or, you know, C-U-N-T jokes and, you know, things like that. Um, I think that sometimes that could be a little distracting from how how much more – what's the word I'm looking for here? Like how much more powerful – uh, the overall story could be. Yeah, on its own, honestly, the dramatic moments worked. So, I mean, it is a compelling story. It's a compelling setup. I didn't need... I know it's a McDonough staple, but I didn't need... The story didn't need the crudeness in the way that maybe Imbruge did. Well, that's like his style, and you know, maybe we just have to embrace it as such, because now three films in... You know, I think he's established that, hey, you know what? Like, this is this is just how I write. But if Quentin Tarantino can get away with it, Martin McDonough can certainly get away with it, I think. Y- yeah, I-, I-, I guess that's true. You know, I mean, Tarantino's won screenplay Oscars twice 
for movies that one could make an argument have the exact same complaint. Yeah, although I think the world has changed a lot, even since Django. So it'll be interesting sure. to see if that is held against him come Oscar time. But I, I mean, assuming the post is not our best picture frontrunner, I think he's winning the Oscar for best screenplay. And I think he's probably going to get nominated for director. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's time to talk about now uh, the key element of the film, and that is the performances and how well they sell the dialogue, the comedy, the drama. Oh my God. Let's start off with Queen herself. Let's start off with Frances McDormand. Do you think that this is, you know, top three work that she's ever done? Like, yes. do you think this is better than Fargo? Like, what's your take here? I haven't seen Fargo in years, but I think this might be my favorite of her performances just because she's really good in Fargo, but the sheer amount of range she has the opportunity to display here is crazy. I mean, she gets to do every type of acting. We're taught we get she gets to scream, she gets to cry, she gets to make funny jokes, she gets to act like she feels awkward. Uh, you know, like she gets to display love in pride. I mean, she gets the entire spectrum of emotions. She's written to have a lot. And she makes a character who is justifiably angry, but is an undeniably unpleasant person at the time we meet her, still someone you want to root for. Yeah. And that's a very difficult line to toe. I completely agree with you. And there's um, some moments in there where, you know, you could tell she's a flawed human being and she, she understands that and everybody else understands that as well. There's a scene where with Lucas Hedges... And it's crazy because it just kind of comes out of nowhere to something you wouldn't expect. She, like, throws cereal in his face. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then just stays on his face the entire And it's, time. like, supposed to be, like, a playful moment, but it also, like, goes to show you because he's, like, visibly upset about this that she may not exactly uh, – what's what I'm thinking of here? She She's not the most delicate person. She doesn't know her audience all that well sometimes. And you can tell she's just an average, you know, citizen trying to do the best that she can. She's not a terrible person by any means. Although maybe that is a little debatable um, with some of the acts that she does later on in the film, such as throwing, uh, you know, flaming molds of cocktails. But we don't have anything to arrest you for. Not yet. <laughs> but yeah, you can credit it towards uh, she's being pushed to the edge. And this whole, like I said before, a circle of anger and revenge is just escalating and escalating and escalating and turning this person who is clearly undergoing like a very severe grieving process and turning her into a more hateful person. So when the film finally gets to a point where, you know, she can kind of settle down, calm herself and reflect and have a chance to get some closure. Um, I think that, that I think the film comes full circle, not just for uh, the Sam Rockwell character in this movie, but also for her as well. Yeah. I mean, the scene in a restaurant with her and her ex-husband at the end is that is a great moment. And, is in many ways the emotional, at least for her arc, the emotional crux of the yeah, film. Yeah, McDonough does a really great job of using objects to make us go, oh my God, like what's going to happen here? Um, he does it with orange juice in the movie. Yeah. And he does it later on with the wine bottle where he's playing with our expectations of like 
what's going to happen and he's focusing on that object and we kind of expect the characters to do one thing based on everything that we've seen before and it's in those moments where he subverts our expectations and I think it creates uh, for a much more engaging story for both the characters and for the audience as well. Oh my, and the way the wine bottle sequence is shot too. Yeah, I'm glad you touched upon the Orange Juice movie because the people on either side of me were crying during that scene because that's such an emotional moment well executed and might be Rockwell's Oscar clip. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think so at all. Too many spoil. Too many spoilers. What do you think is Rockwell's Oscar moment? What is the Rockwell moment that steals the show for you? God, is there is there really just one? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, here's my thing about Rockwell. I mean, praise Frances McDormand. I, I I'm rooting for her to win the Oscar, her second Oscar. But Sam Rockwell, man, he is winning the Oscar for this. I can't imagine him losing. Every single scene, every single moment that he is in this film, he is doing something. Whether it's a dumbfounded look on his face, uh, some sort of a nervous tick, uh, the way he just carries his body with like that swagger, uh, you know, like that swing side to side thing. Um, it's just like so awkward with his arms like flailing on the side, and I, I, I mean, and it looks like his eye, he makes his eye kind of drift off to the side, like he's got an, a lazy eye. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And also, honestly, I mean, Oscar loves transformation. Last time I saw Sam Rockwell, he was about thirty pounds lighter. I assume he deliberately gained weight for this role to play kind of a sh- gross, schlubby, out of shape cop. You know, and there, there's yeah. something to be said for that, too. He's, But it's amazing, because throughout the entire film, I mean, every time you see him, he gives you such a whirlwind of emotions, because he's such an asshole. But mm-hmm. he is endearing. And I think this is a prime example of someone is largely a bad, or behaves badly. I'm not going to say he's objectively a bad person, but because of his circumstances and he does not know better he's very stupid he has the uh the creepiest mother this side of norman bates's mom and psycho and you know he he's, his dad is gone and he really only had one positive mentor figure in his life i mean he's got the full package i i like Will, tell me right tell me right this moment right now. Are you predicting him to win Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I, I, I can't see how anyone could watch this and go, Oh, Michael Stuhlbark. <laughs> you know? I, I like I just don't see it because this to me checks off all of the boxes. Respected character actor has never gotten his due. Never even got an Academy Award nomination, might I add, at all. And this to me uh, maybe other than Moon, uh, I think this is the best performance I've ever seen him give. Oh my god, no, no, not even other than Moon. This is easily the best performance he's ever given. Okay, there you go. So, there it is, right there. Um, and then Woody Harrelson. Another, once again, another surprising character in this movie, who I thought was starting off one way, and naturally you cast Woody Harrelson because there is kind of an expectation of what kind of a character that man is going to play when you cast him. Not to mention he previously worked with Martin McDonough in uh, Seven Psychopaths where he played, you know, the bad guy, quote unquote. 
And his character surprised me too here. And uh, once again, utilized Woody uh, Harrelson for all of the correct talents that he's able to provide. He's funny. You know, his voiceover dialogue in this movie, I think is pretty um, moving. There's a letter he writes. Oh my God. Actually, yes. there's two letters he, he writes, but oh my God. Three. Three. Yeah. And they're, they're all so touching. And then at the same time, you know, uh, uh, the third letter we read, I think it's the third, is so hilarious in what it reveals. It explains a mystery from earlier in the plot. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, and it, no, it, it's odd seeing a movie where Woody Harrelson is essentially the moral compass. I don't think that's ever happened before. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so good. Okay. Final thoughts. Great out of ten. Let's nail down the Oscar potential in more detail. I know we've kind of talked about it here and there. Will, what do you have left to say on three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? Very good. It's not my number one of the year, but I liked it a hell of a lot. It uh, The only things it loses points for for me are for being a little rambling at times. And I, I do think it could have toned down McDonald's crass and slur-filled style a little bit. Where does it rank for you against Seven Psychopaths and in Bruges? Oh, it's much better than Seven Psychopaths. In Bruges is just a favorite of mine. That's in my... I adore that film so much. And so I still prefer In Bruges by a hair. But this is very, very good. Um, this is not my number one of the year, but it's probably my number two or number three. And as far as Oscar potential, I still think The Post will end up being our Best Picture winner. But I think this is... You know, this is this is a strong contender. Uh, we'll see if the Academy comes around to McDonald's style and is willing to embrace his crudeness. I think it gets nominated for director. It gets nominated for actress. I still think McDormand loses to Margot Robbie, but I think she's probably a number two. I think Rockwell wins. I think there's a good chance it wins screenplay. Um, I think it might get nominated for editing just because they like Best Picture nominees here. Nominated for score... And that's pretty much it. And then it can yeah. easily take SAG Ensemble. Yeah. Uh, you figure uh, picture, director, screenplay, actress, supporting actor, and the two texts there. I mean, you're pretty much looking at, uh, what is that, six nominations? Yeah, it's, it's a I, solid I turnout. Count. It's a solid yeah. turnout. So I think I think it definitely uh, stands a, a chance there. Oh, that's actually seven nominations. So that's its best day. So we'll see. Uh, so what do you what do you add? Are you at an eight or a nine? I'm at an eight. Okay, a, all right. A good strong eight. I am definitely at a nine. Uh, this is my second favorite film of the year, just behind Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I love this movie so much. I love its characters. I love its message. I love the colorful dialogue. I I, I really like was so taken aback by how much this film because watching the Red Band trailer especially, I just thought oh here comes another crass, you know, uh, movie by Martin McDonough with, that's going to have some laugh-out-loud moments. I was not expecting those dramatic moments to hit me as hard as they did. Because I'm telling you, I felt my stomach drop at least two times in this movie. Oh, yeah. And that's that's a rarity in and of itself that a movie can subvert my expectations and make me feel that way. And, man, this film really, really did it. It's, like I said, part of the reason why I think it's going to resonate with people, both on a thematic level and also, too, on an emotional level. And I think it's going to be remembered come Oscar time with 
possible wins for picture, actress, supporting actor, and screenplay. I don't see it winning um, the other awards. You know, if this was like the 90s, I think that if it was winning picture, I think McDonough would come along for the ride just because he directed the Best Picture winner. But we don't live in that time anymore. So nomination, I could see it happening, but I don't see a win happening for him. And, um, you know, it'd be so cool if Carter Burwell could win. <laughs> it'd be so awesome. Oh, okay. yeah. It, this is not a, this is not an Oscar winning score. No, no, no. It, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. But it would be so cool. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, I think Rockwell is like probably the, the, the surest bet at a win, right? Yeah. And I mean, there is a world where the narrative people had for Willem Dafoe still carries him to a win over this, but I think this is because this is probably going to be the more popular film overall with voters that's going to help Rockwell. But yeah, I'm yeah. not like you where I say, I don't think anyone could beat him, but I think he'll win. Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, with that said, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Definite Oscar player, definitely entertaining, definitely has a lot to say. Uh, be sure to check it out when it expands to your area. Will Mavity, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast review, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And we will read your comments out on air on the main show, which you can also listen to as well. Thank you once again, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.